Who do you want to be as a leader? What are the blind spots you're missing? If you had a magic wand and you could change anything about your workplace, what would you do with it? These are the kinds of questions we explore on Inspirational Leadership. I'm your host, Kristen Harcourt. I'm a keynote speaker, emotional intelligence coach, and leadership trainer who partners with executives and emerging leaders who want to achieve extraordinary results for themselves and their organizations. You're in the right place if you're ready to cultivate the self-awareness to be the leader you were born to be. Let's go on this journey together. Welcome to Inspirational Leadership. I'm your host, Kristen Harcourt, and I'm excited for another episode and to introduce you to today's guest. And today I'm going to be speaking with Jeremy Lauren. Jeremy is the Senior Vice President, External Relations and Business Development at Loyalist College. And Jeremy is an entrepreneur at heart. He founded his first three technology firms in Kingston, Ontario, which became global companies. He was the president and CEO of VentureAb, an innovation hub. He's a TEDx speaker. He's an adjunct professor at York University. And he's also been named Entrepreneur of the Year by JCI. Welcome to to the show, Jeremy. Thank you very much, Kristen. It's my pleasure to be here with you today. So, Jeremy, I I love your your story, and it's just it's unbelievable all the things that you already did at such a young age. Because already in your twenties, you were founding these technology companies, which is amazing. And so, I'd love as a starting point because um, your journey is so interesting because it's taken you in different places, and um, I just find that you bring so much robust from innovation and entrepreneurship and leadership and business development. And so tell us a little bit about your story and what's got you to where you are now and the work that you're doing in the world. Oh boy, Kristen. And we only have about 30 minutes. I, I don't know if I can do it. And it, and it's, you know, talking about me is one of my favorite subjects. So <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I would be the worst person probably to give career advice to because I, mine has, Bibsy bopsied all over the road and had so many unexpected uh, twists and turns, but all of them thoroughly enjoyable. And in all seriousness, anytime I, I am asked, that's the point I, I try to, 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 you know, get across to people that if you try to overthink this stuff at 19 or 20 years of age, you're, you're going to go, you know, analysis to paralysis, right? You're going to drive yourself crazy. And I think that, um, you know, part of it is, and it came up and, and I spoke about this in my TED talk is my sister and I being raised in an owner operator household, you know, our parents had unorthodox work for many, many years because, you know, in the eighties, um, I don't think anyone really knew what the word entrepreneur was. So you might be a small business owner, but nobody really used that terminology back then. And it certainly wasn't the badge of honor that it is now. And so I think um, that had a massive impact on me in a way that I probably didn't appreciate at all as a youngster. But, you know, I, my very first business was a restaurant. I never talk about that. I was still a minor. I, I was getting ready to graduate high school. And one of my dear friends who is still my, my brother to this day comes to me with this crazy idea because he pumped gas at this gas station and right next door to it was this vacant building and he knew the landlord and he knew I liked to cook. And he's like, well, let's just start a restaurant. What do we know? 
And, you know, had my mom and dad and his mom and dad not been small business owners, his father owned a painting company and my parents owned gas stations and taxi companies. It would have never happened. I mean, all our friends looked at us and said, are you bleeding nuts? We're heading off to university or college and you guys are going to own a little pizza joint. Like, what are you thinking? And my grandparents were terrified. Everybody in my family, the more traditional thinkers were like, you know, mom and dad, you can't let Jeremy do this. I am so eternally thankful at 48 years of age to say to my, my parents, thank you for letting me just explore that. And I remember my, my late mom at that time saying to my grandparents on both sides, Jeremy, 17 years old, what is the worst that could possibly happen here? At, at minimum, he's going to have this incredible life journey and incredible experience and he can go to school when he's ready to go to school. It's not an either or scenario. Give him some space to try this. Thank goodness my parents did that because that early formative experience is what led me through this, this life I've had around innovation and entrepreneurship. And all the mentors I've had, Kristen, in my life that I've been so blessed to have, have all said to me, you know, don't fuss too much about the road, the pathway, the logic behind any of it. When you're doing what you're meant to be doing, it will happen. It will organically happen. And I am living proof of that. I have no business in higher ed. And here I am working at Loyalist College in Belleville. I, I hope our, our president doesn't shoot me when she hears this interview. But but truly, I mean, if you were to try and map it from, you know, a youngster leaving high school to here's Jeremy and he, he's a senior vice president at a, at a college in Eastern Ontario, none of it makes any sense. But when you pull it apart in the little pieces and you analyze them, yeah. there's, a, there's a thread of connectivity there that does make some sense. Totally. Um, I love so much of what you said. First of all, it's a lot of times we feel like it's supposed to look linear and it doesn't look linear. It zigs and it zags. And you know, what I want to be conscious of is for some people, it is a little bit more linear, right? So there are some people who know they want to be a lawyer. They know they want to be a doctor. They know they want to be an accountant and it looks more linear. That's one category, but then there's a whole bunch of other people in another category. And I can hundred percent relate because I'd be on that category. I would perhaps describe myself as multi-passionate, but back in the time, back in the day, it wasn't necessarily encouraged to be multi-passionate was like, come up with a plan. Where are you going? What are you doing? And so it can be difficult to, um, to, because you're not necessarily having people who were nurturing that in you. So I love that your parents nurtured you, that in you. And when I think about our audience members, which are quite diverse, they can be anywhere from emerging leaders all the way to senior executives, CEOs, HR leaders, um, a reminder to all of them that are listening too, because I'll, I'll never forget a story of, I was speaking to, um, I was at a, in Niagara, the Lake, someone who was a chef there who was coming to the front and he had told me he, how he used to work in a manufacturing plant was the head plant manager, but his love was always to be a chef. Bless his soul at 75 years old, he went to chef school and here he is 77 year old there so happy. And that's even how we had our conversation. I even said to him, he was out there and I said, you know, I look at you and you just look so happy. You look so joy filled in what you're doing. And he said, I am. And then I'm so glad we had this interaction. I heard this story. So it's not that you get to this point that 
well, now when I'm in my forties or now I'm in my fifties or sixties or even seventies for that matter, that it's too late. It's actually never too late. You can always zig and zag. Thank you for sharing that with, with me and with your listeners. That is such an inspiring story. Those are the ones that I cling to. I, I still have no idea what I want to be when I grow up. So I so, so, so relate to that. Thank you. That's yeah. incredible. I love that story. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, and it's not to make it, it's good or bad, right? It's um, having faith and trust in that path. And you're still not just sitting there and doing nothing. You're, you're taking action, but you don't necessarily know how that's all going to map out. And in some ways, I'm just thinking, knowing you, Jeremy, that might've been a little bit boring, right? Like it's fun to be able to let it expand and show up as it starts to show up. Absolutely. You're, you're absolutely right. It's, it's not for everybody. um, But for those who are comfortable in uncertain surroundings, which is my life in a nutshell, um, often not knowing sort of where the next paycheck is going to come from, which is so much the life of an entrepreneur. Um, that is not for everybody. But, you know, back to, you know, that great question you asked me at the opening here. I think, you know, strangely, I got comfortable in the uncertainty at an early age because my, my parents enabled that in me. They were, you know, my mom was an accountant. So, I mean, not a, you know, she was pretty staid in her thinking, right? Black and white and, and not a lot of gray in the middle, like, you know, like an accountant. But at the same time, she was so good at sort of saying, it's okay to walk this path you're meant to walk, Jeremy, and don't worry about it. If it's not exactly what all your friends and are, are doing, just as you rightly noted a moment ago, there's no right or wrong, and it's not an either or. But I think that um, what a lot of youngsters don't have is necessarily that mentorship, whether it comes from a family member or it comes from an outside influence that you've been able to build a close relationship with. You know, lots of young people get this through organized sports, right? So you develop a rapport with your coaching and with your other players. And, and, and there's lots of ways this stuff finds you. But if you can have your eyes open to it, and you can be watching for those subtle cues when they come your way and then grab them when they do, it can set you on, on, the, on the path that you're ultimately meant to be on. And you know, the, the first half of my life was all about being a shameless capitalist, trying to make as much money as I possibly could. And I was gonna build businesses and generate wealth. And, and, um, and the second half of my life through a series of experiences, um, number some personal and some professional, and all of them profound, um, led me to really wanting to dedicate the second half of my career uh, to trying to help others avoid the rabbit holes that I had gone down. And, and that has been, again, not something I could have ever mapped out for myself it happened because of all of these very non-linear steps that I took along the way that led me to a point in my life where I, I woke up one morning and said, okay, there's got to be a better way and it shouldn't be this difficult. It shouldn't come at the expense of these things that have hit me personally and professionally. Let's try to create ecosystems of like-minded people. And if I could 
somehow contribute to that, then maybe I could make it a little bit easier for those coming behind me. And, and that's what Venture Lab was about. And it continues to be to this day. It's, it's an amazing organization in Markham led by phenomenal people. And that's the work that they are doing. My, my, my work in the kind of broader innovation ecosystem up to and including what brought me to Loyalist was also very much uh, in service and of service of that same kind of mission and purpose. When youngsters can see a better path for themselves and, and build some confidence in themselves that they can achieve any number of different possibilities in their life from a career perspective, boy, that, that's important work. It's meaningful work. And I, I consider it a privilege to be able to contribute to that kind of work in, in, the, in the gig I have now at Loyalist. And I think what you brought up is so important. And one of the things I really admired and appreciated in your TED talk, which is, and let's talk a little bit about this right now, which is about impact. Because I think sometimes people a little bit earlier in their career, um, one thing might be driving them. And as they do get a little further along, sometimes that shifts to other things. And I like to welcome everybody because it can be earlier, you start to recognize, oh, okay, what is, what is that impact? And so from some, some of your experience, and um, I loved when you talked about resonance as well, um, talk to me a little bit around the theme of impact and maybe some of the questions people can start to ask themselves in order to be more intentional around the impact they're having workplaces and their workplaces and their families and their communities, because you and I've talked about this before, we're whole people, we're whole, they're all connected. Yes. Um Kristen, I love that question, and I'm grateful that you brought it up. The, the subject of impact um, has, has informed most of my life, up to and including my childhood formative years, you know, just watching the kinds of fundamentally good people my parents were, my, my family members were, and ultimately the kinds of friends that I picked and, and chose to associate with, same as my sister. The two of us are, are similar in that regard. Our, our, our childhood friends are, are still very much connected and a part of our worlds today. And as I was thinking about it on that day, you know, that, that, that I was giving the TED talk, thought, you know, there's a, there's a theme around this notion of impact as it relates to my life as an entrepreneur, which was, of course, the theme of that conversation. But it, it goes back even farther and it continues forward with me up to and including this day. So some people think about it from, from the perspective of altruism. Um, I, I'm, I'm sure there's maybe some of that in there. I care deeply about people. It's just how I was raised. I, I want to see people do well. And if I've been lucky enough to, to experience something positive in my life, I want very much to be able to try and help others do it. That's how I'm wired, right? So I'm the first guy to return a phone call, to be responsive. I live my life by um, a set of values, responsive, genuine, and attuned. And I hold myself accountable to those three values. And uh, anytime I've ever been blessed enough in my life to build teams, um, which is very much part of my work now at Loyalist College. Um, we build teams and we develop KPIs around making sure that that culture set is built into how we're actually trying to uh, achieve our business objectives. So we do it through the lens of being responsive, genuine, and attuned. And 
early in my life. I mean, I was still in my 20s building one of my software businesses. I was blessed to have a, a mentor who was, who was on the board. And I remember him saying to me one time, Jeremy, the thing I love about you is you do what you say you're going to do. And I remember it, Kristen, I mean, as I'm talking to you about it right now and to your listeners about it right now, as if it was yesterday and it was, you know, 20 years ago. And at the time, I think I, I might have treated it as a passing comment. Thank you. I think that's a compliment. Thank you. And off I go to the next thing that I'm trying to do that day. But I'm proud of myself that I was able to reflect on it. And as the days and months, and ultimately years went on, I thought to myself, you know, here's, here's a very successful person who's, you know, running a public company and sitting on the board of my company who made something so simple sounds so completely profound. Maybe I should just take a moment and think this through a little bit. And that one comment has had such an impact on the way I, I try to live my life every day and the way I try to uh, encourage good cultural values in the teams that I'm a part of and that I, that I uh, ultimately am building. So, you know, you, you do what you say you're going to do sounds so unbelievably simple, but there's a mountain behind it if you really start to unpack it. So back to the point about impact, you know, I started to shape my, my objectives from a career perspective and a personal perspective around this idea. So if you ask me to return your phone call, I will return your phone call. I won't wait three weeks. I will return your phone call. And if we have a conversation and there's an outcome in that conversation that requires me to do something, you can bet your bottom dollar, I will do it. I will deliver on it. And if I can't, I will say so. And I'm surprised as I continue on my journey in life, how rare it actually is that it's just not as commonplace as one might think it is. And so when you pull back to a, a pretty simple set of values that people can relate to and understand and see themselves in, I think that's when you get to this place where you can mobilize a team, you know, 40, 50 people to think this way. And all of a sudden, really positive change happens. And your customers start responding to it and saying, my goodness, there's something different going on here from just a couple of years ago. And where does it sit ultimately? Well, it sits in this place of being responsive, genuine, and attuned. I'm listening to you with intent, and I'm going to be honest and forthright with you in my engagement with you. And that's going to be our contract. And if we both agree to do it, then we're going to have a great outcome. No matter what it is that we're setting out to do together, we're going to have this incredible outcome. And I think when, when your teams start to hear that feedback, that's when it gets really powerful, right? It gets really fun because people start going, oh my goodness, you know, I've been working a certain way for X amount of years and everything's been fine. But now all of a sudden I'm embracing a different value set, Jeremy, and I'm actually engaging with the world externally in a different way than I was before. And I'm getting it back. Yeah. And that is so gratifying. I, I put it out and I get it back. And whether it sounds cliche to some or not, I'm not, I, I don't know, but I'm here to tell you in my years of life, it's true and it really does work. So when I think about things like impact and resonance, you know, even when you think about that word resonance, right, Kristen, you look it up and, and you look at it from a purely scientific perspective. 
it relates back to everything we're talking about right now. If I can create resonance in the system, you know, I'm shaking my hands here. If I can, if I can get those streams of consciousness working and you connect with them on the other side, then we're creating resonance together between us. And once we have that connectivity, we have the opportunity to create a relationship that is responsive, genuine, and attuned. And that's the way I've, I've always done it my entire life. It hasn't always worked, but it's worked more than it hasn't worked. So I know it's the right formula for me. Yes. Yes. I'm feeling the resonance as we're talking about this because we both are so passionate about this because uh, absolutely it does. We, and I can say firsthand with working with many different organizations where they, they do adopt these principles in different ways. They might not use exact words, but overall it's the same thing. It's the values are being lived and breathed. And what ends up happening is, and it's so beautiful in terms of the ripple effect is when that organization is operating in that way, those leaders are not going to stay there forever. And now they're going to go to other workplaces and bring that to other workplaces. And then it starts to have that ripple and expands. And ultimately it feels better for both of the humans, the person who's, who's, interacting in that way, they're going to start to feel more connected to that other individual, that individual that they're connecting with feels more connected. And to me, that's the whole theme, which I talk a lot about with my mission, which is raising consciousness globally by transforming leaders and humanizing the workplace. You've just described it beautifully. That's, that's what it looks like, right? That's what it is in action. Um, so beautiful. Um, I get, I just get so excited about the possibilities if we can have more workplaces and embracing this. And it reminds me of, a, of another question I have for you um, th- that I think is, is quite fascinating and, and, and interesting is around one of your thoughts is that when you think about startups and what can happen with a startup culture, how to be able to continue having that in an organization as it expands and gets bigger. And you use Steve Jobs as an example, and it doesn't matter mm-hmm. how big Apple is, um, they still, with a lot of those, those principles and philosophies that started up with, with the startup, continued on. So talk to me a little bit about this because there's there's people talking right that are listening right now who will be with cultures different sizes small medium large maybe education healthcare all over the place they can all embrace some of those qualities of a startup so I'd love to hear some thoughts from you on that uh, so this is one of my favorite topics I love this topic and and we're on a journey right now at the at the college around skilled trades in this particular space so it's it's very top of mind for me these days. It's this notion, Kristen, of always behaving like an operator. These are words I've used for 25 years. So whether you work inside IBM, some great big, big company, or a four-person startup in a garage where I came from, if you always behave like an operator and you really let those words wash over you for a minute, it's like, okay, I'm not going to be wasteful with the paper and the photocopy machine. I'm going to turn the lights out when I leave the room. I'm I'm going to behave as if I'm paying all the bills, whether I work in an organization of 100,000 people or or it's three of us in a startup. I'm always going to behave like an operator. And the notional thinking behind that is that if, if you can embrace that culture in your organization, I have at Venture Lab, I had three hospital CEOs on my board. It's fascinating when you talk about healthcare and all these different lenses that one might look at this through. Uh, One was an astronaut. 
you know, he was, he was a Canadian hero and he, he had come back to, uh, to the GTA and he was the CEO of a hospital. And he used to talk about shockingly excellent customer service. And he used to say, you know, it takes, it was a phenomenal number. It was something like 4,000 people to get 10 people up into space. And he used to always say, you know, think about it from the notion of teamwork, right? So you're putting your life literally into those people's hands and it either, it either has to work or there's a catastrophe. It's all about teamwork. And so the better you communicate, the more authentic you are in your communication. I loved my time. His name is Dave Williams. Great, great guy. I loved my time with Dave. I actually got to go to Finland with him one time and, and go on a trade mission. And, you know, when you're away on a trip, you really over dinners and just on buses and trains, you, you get to know each other in a really authentic way. I could have listened to him for hours because his whole point was about the thing that you and I are talking about, right? If, if you just show up with a positive attitude, if you say thank you, if you engage people in a meaningful way, it doesn't matter if you're in a startup company, if you're in a public institution, you know, a college is, is in many ways like, like a, a hospital, right? It's publicly funded. You have a responsibility uh, in terms of value for money. You're, you're working with the crown's money. These are tax dollars. You want to imagine if you weren't bureaucratic, but you behaved like an operator. You really, truly brought that culture and that philosophy into a great big institution like Loyalist College. And everybody from facilities to faculty to staff to people from, from one end to the other started to actually embrace this notional idea. Then you create an, a, 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 a culture of innovation and entrepreneurship. You create an entrepreneurial way of thinking. And Venture Lab is actually co-located inside IBM. So I, I use them as an anecdotal example, but it's, it's actually from a place of real life. Wow. And they used to say, you know, having this technology accelerator right inside our building is so amazing because 9,000 IBMers come to work in this building every day. But when they walk through the lobby, they walk by a startup technology accelerator. So all of a sudden, back to our point about resonance, you can feel it in the airwaves. You can't help but feel it. It's palpable. And so you get people that are going to work inside IBM every day that are getting this culture influence just subtly washing over them as they go to work. And it was this incredible example of a public-private partnership where IBM recognized this is a great way to inject innovative entrepreneurial thinking inside IBM Canada. And as a result, all kinds of great collisions will happen. You know, the startups will certainly benefit from being around the culture of a great organization like IBM, but vice versa, the IBMers will also benefit from the great culture that comes from being inside of a startup technology accelerator and all of that energy and drive. So when you behave like an operator, whether you're going to go to work in a hospital or you're going to go to work at IBM, or you're going to go and start an HVAC company, or you're going to, you know, get your, get your trade diploma and become a welder. If you are responsive, genuine, and attuned, you will climb the corporate ladder. You will succeed in it from a career perspective and your managers, your bosses are going to love you. And whether you ever venture out on your own or not, it doesn't matter. You're going to bring 
that culture and that attitude of thinking about this place like an operator to your work every day and your superiors are going to value that in you and they are going to create pathways for you that will see you succeed in your chosen career path. Wow. I, I, I think that's amazing for a multitude of reasons. It's one, because when I hear you saying the operator, I always think of two, like think of yourself as a CEO. You don't have to be the CEO of the company, but every day you go in, what are those decisions and choices that you're being conscious of? And, and I, I say all the time that, because some people I've, I've even had this with clients that, well, some other people are creative, but I'm not creative. And I said, oh, I can find you thing after thing that you're creative. It's your story right now about the fact that you're creative. We're gonna change that story because we all have access to creativity. Did we lose touch with it? For sure. Some of us might have lost touch because we get into the adulting and no mistakes and no failures. So we actually get into perfectionist mode and we hold ourselves back. Um, So it sounds so freeing when you say that, because it's reminding everyone, if you think of yourself as the CEO, where's opportunities? Where can you be creative? Where's another way of doing that? How can you create efficiencies? Oh, you see an idea here. Speak up, put your hand up and share the idea because we're not just leaders by title, not at all. We are, we all have the opportunity to show up as leaders every day. And part of that is by getting curious and creative and paying attention to what's, what's around us and taking ownership, right? Being responsible for ourselves. And so turning the light off is a great example. That's being responsible, right? And it's also being kind to the environment, which is a whole other. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Um, But I I like how it's really, it's making that individual feel empowered because we are, we are all empowered. We all make choices every day. We are in control of our choices. Absolutely. We used to always say, and I, and I say it with my new team at Loyalist, don't be afraid to break stuff, right? This idea of innovation comes from this idea of diffusion, right? It's, it's, it's changing the way you once did something. And, you know, that's risky. And it's everything you just said. You, you, you can't do that if you're stayed and in your lane and you think you're, you're, everything's moving in a linear direction. It's not going to go that way. On our Marcon team, you know, we say as marketers and communications people, 10 bad ideas to get to the 11th winner is awesome. It's worth it every single time, but that creates authenticity and trust amongst your teammates. Like, am I going to be the person who says the dumb idea today? Nobody wants to be that person. Well, it's an amazing opportunity. Failure. I've learned more on the way down than I ever did on the way up. On the way up, you're on autopilot. Everything's awesome. Money's rolling in. Staff is happy. The business is growing you are acutely sensitive to what's going on around you when things are going badly. And we can all relate to that in life, whether we're an owner operator of a business or just working in a company when things are going bad versus when things are going good. And you really, as you know, for a moment, think about that, ponder it for a moment, how different you feel in your skin in a moment where things are bad and you're paying attention and you're ultimately learning and when you come out the other side, you are better for it, right? You truly are. If you can put those things into practice, it makes you and your organization better as a result. But the only way you can do that is if you create and encourage a culture where it's okay to break stuff. Yeah. That's scary. That's, that's scary. But if you create that culture and at the yeah. same time, you've got folks thinking and behaving like operators they're not going to come in and bang holes through the walls. Like that's not what I mean by break stuff. Mm -hmm. I mean, let's try some things. 
Let's try to diffuse and be disruptive and try things differently. And when we do, our company will have exponential growth. And that's whether that's my company as an owner, operator, CEO, or my company that I work in, that I'm proud of, that I care deeply about. I've never met a soul at Loyalist College who doesn't care deeply about Loyalist College. They care about it as if it was their own business. Yeah. Well, that's a culture shift, right? That we all have a hand in creating. Yes. Yes. Oh, so yes, yes, yes. And it, it also it, it's embracing the growth mindset. And I talk a lot about the difference between a growth and a fixed mindset, because that person who's something doesn't work is not, I'm a failure. It didn't work. And what is the next iteration and, and, and innovation and growth and trying new things. It's messy. It's messy. Like it's not, Oh, it's all fun. It's it's there's, there's some messiness, right? So it's being able to be kind and self-compassionate and having grace for yourself when you're in that muck and messiness. Absolutely. I'm going to steal some of that, Kristen. That is brilliantly said. I I am 100% in agreement with you on that. And, you know, it's on all of us, as, as you rightly said a moment ago, every person on the team, it doesn't matter what position you play on the team, every person on the team either does it or doesn't. And if they don't do it, you're not going to win. End of story. The the best examples we can see in life of high functioning teams, whether it's in a sports arena, a business arena, it doesn't matter. The ones that win more than they lose, it's it's really not rocket science, right? That's, that's the reason that they're winning more than they're losing. And that's why business leaders love to, to study sports franchises. That's why they love it. They love to study it from that perspective, because what is it inside the culture that makes them win more than they lose? And it rolls from management through to the teammates, to the ownership. It's, it's everybody working collectively together. It's the same in any team environment. We all have to come into the room and contribute equally to the conversation. And you know, an authentic style of leader says that we are all in this, truly in this together. I'm never gonna ask you to do something that you wouldn't ask me to do or that I wouldn't do myself and around and around we go. And that authenticity makes a difference. I, I've just been here a year. May 4th, I was here a year. And on my anniversary date, the notes that I received back from teammates were just beyond special to me. I will cherish them forever. And the theme in each of them was everything we've just talked about in this, in this podcast today, Kristen, everything was you show up on time, you do what you say you're going to do, you're authentic, you know, you, you bring positivity into the conversation. I sign emails off, make it a great day. I always do. When I first got to Loyalist, people thought I was bleeding nuts. What do you mean make it a great day? It's Monday. What do you mean make it? It's going to be a great day on Monday. But a year later, I've got people quoting it back to me. Jeremy, make it a great day today. And when I see it, I smile and I think, you know, this is how you do it. One conversation at a time, you can truly, truly make a difference. And people feel better when they say it. So I get great satisfaction out of seeing people kind of go, you're right. It's not this big bohemoth of a mountain we've got to climb. It's one conversation at a time, one incremental move at a time. Our attitude has so much to do 
with how we ultimately drive a positive, productive, people-centric culture. And it's so beautiful what you said there, because it's a reminder, first of all, that it's contagious. But I also want to um, comment and give you credit. It does take courage because to be authentic does require courage because you could have come in the, the, the workplace and say, oh, this is what the current landscape looks like and people don't do that. So I'm not going to do that because it might not be well received. No, you said I'm going to show up as my authentic self. This is what feels right for me. I know that this will eventually inspire others. And you did it. And so then the other people who eventually came back and said to you, oh, make it a great day. I'm going to start saying that. That that was them letting a bit of their guard down and being vulnerable and recognizing, you know, that's who I want to be as well. But it felt a little bit uncomfortable to do that. So you're modeling it and then you're helping others to give themselves the permission to have that courage to be authentic. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Beautiful. So um, it's always it's always difficult to end these conversations, but <laughs> as we're going to end it, um, Jeremy, I always give my guests an opportunity to leave a final thought with the audience, whatever is showing up for you in this moment. Mm. What a lovely opportunity that is. I'm trying not to make it too daunting. Um, I would say, uh, and just try to put a wrapper around what I think has been the theme of our conversation today, which I've loved, by the way, to be your, your truest, uh, most authentic self as often as you can. We're human. We're not going to be perfect. We can't be. We're imperfect beings. But if you get up in the morning and you've got the right basic attitude about the day that's in front of you, no matter what you're facing it's likely to be a better day. And, and I cannot tell you how many times when I've put it out there in the world, a colleague, a friend, a family member, whatever it might be, will come back to me and say, my goodness, I started the day today thinking it wasn't gonna be a very good day. And then I had that one interaction with you and everything turned around and I ended up having a better day as a result. So there is something to this notion of when you put positivity into your emails, into your phone conversations, into the things you're doing and make it authentic because people know when it isn't, yes. be your best and most authentic self. And I think you're gonna find whether it's your career path, your personal life, all of the above, it's going to be a better journey and a happier journey and a more fulfilling journey. And that's what I would love to, to leave your listeners with today. Fantastic, fantastic words of wisdom. Jeremy, where can people learn more about you and your work? Um, they can certainly find me on, on LinkedIn. I'm on Twitter. Yes. Um, I'm, I'm easily found at the college. So I'm, I'm, I'm easy to find and I love interacting with people. Um, that might be the, the easiest place to find me would be uh, on Twitter and on LinkedIn as a starting point. And then of course, also at Loyalist College in Belleville, Ontario, where I'm a proud member of the team. Amazing. Amazing. Thank you so much for being here and being part of this conversation. Thank you for having me, Kristen. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Me too. And I think we're going to leave it with your words of wisdom. We can say it together. Make it a good day. Make it a great day. Make it a great day. <laughs> Thanks everyone. Take care. Bye. Please remember that meaningful change requires space and grace. Practice self-compassion and become the ripple. As you transform yourself, you transform your workplace and the people around you.